Hello, and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen Haupt, and I'm joined today by Father Bouquet, our president. Hello, Father. Good to see you again, Colleen. It's good to see you, too. And today we're going to be talking about voting from a Catholic perspective. So considering the questions whether or not Catholics have a moral obligation to vote, what principles should decide who they vote for, and then we're going to end the podcast by talking about a couple key um, states that have very pro-life or very anti-life um, things coming up on the ballot. So we'll talk about that at the end of this podcast. So oh, Very yeah. good, Colleen. It's, it's a very important subject because, you know, especially as we approach now midterm elections and, and uh, but really whether it be the local or, or, or regional or state or, or federal level, as Catholics, we, we approach these, these very important issues from, a, from our Catholic principles. And so it's, it's, it's a great conversation to have. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to have one on voting so that we could have a resource for key principles that we need to consider. So let's just start with the obvious question then. Um, do Catholics have a moral obligation to vote? So I came prepared today, and I know that it's good that our, our, our listeners can't see my table, or our table, I should say, and, and that is because it's covered with paper right now. Because there are, the, the, the catechism teaches, our bishops uh, teach uh, on this issue, all based in, in Catholic moral principles. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read so uh, from uh, the Catholic bishops here in the United States. Now, this is a document in my article of a few weeks ago when I start talking about the subject of how to approach the initiatives on current ballots. So mm-hmm. that's why we're doing this today, can yeah. help guide people. It's called Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship. So there's a link in the article uh, that people can go to to read the document much more fully. But here, what I'm making direct reference to is the bishop's kind of answer to the question. You know, it says, as, as Catholics, including those seeking public office, uh, you know, our, our, our participation in political parties or other groups in which we may be belong should be influenced by our Catholic principles. So that, uh, before I answer, should we be participating, there the bishops make it clear that, you know, our approach is always from our Catholic perspective, our Catholic view our Catholic moral tradition. And so with that, Catechism of the Catholic Church, 2239 and 2240, Colleen, is what I would really direct our, our listeners toward. I'm not going to read them in, in, in full because they're long, but it says, 2239, it is the duty of citizens to contribute along with the civil authorities to the good of society in the spirit of truth, justice, solidarity, and freedom. The love and service of one's country follows from the duty of gratitude and belongs to the order of charity. So the church very clearly, universally, okay, not just not just about the United States. So the first one was a quote from the Catholic Conference of Bishops in the United States, but drawing from the universal teaching of the church that as citizens of the United States, particularly our country, that we approach this conversation with a moral duty. With, because we want to promote the common good. And in promoting the common good, then I have a way of exercising that through the power of voting as a U.S. citizen. So yes, we have a moral duty to contribute to the common good, to uh, help bring to that common good the reality of what is just, what is true, uh, and what is beautiful, and obviously in solidarity you know, with our brothers and sisters as an act of charity. So it's very important that we see our role in this. And I know that many people uh, maybe uh, don't want to approach, you know, voting because they're uh, whatever issues. But I would challenge us, you know, especially as Catholics, that, you know, that we reevaluate, you know, this this decision and really approach this from a way of promoting the good 
and and being able to advance the good and also to prevent harm to the common good. So we can see ourselves contributing here to civil society in a good way. And then going into the specifics of how, what ideas should principles should be guiding our voting, what are the non-negotiables? I know that's a phrase that gets thrown around when Catholics are talking about voting. Can you just clarify what those are for our audience and how they apply to voting? And and I think the best way to do that, I'm going to rely upon a couple of sources. And I just want to, as I share these, there are a number of places where uh, as Catholics, we can find information. I know we're going to end the podcast with that, but I'll I'll make reference to to them now just to kind of put them in people's eyes and uh, minds and so that we, we hear them. So when I was in, in parish ministry, all right, so a lot of times as pastors, you're looking for information that is easy, accessible, and very clear uh, and for people to use and that they can understand. There were always two sources I went to. So I would rely upon uh, EWTN's uh, you know, teaching on these issues regarding Catholic voting and how does a Catholic approach and the one on EWTN is going to be a little more extensive by getting into the principles in a little more detail, given a little history of our participation in the common good. Uh, and the other source really comes from Priestful Life. And it's one that I used very, very strongly in the parish because it was concise and it was basically almost like bullet points. And so I make reference to them so that, you know, our listeners can go back to those. And I know that we're, uh, we're going to make reference to them again, uh, and they'll be there for people to have access to. But so I'm going to rely right now on uh, the one from Priestful Life to help answer that question. So, so when you look at the non-negotiables, and now there are five in particular that we're speaking of here. But to understand those principles, Colleen, there's a, there's a fundamental principle, and that fundamental principle is the dignity of the human person, the dignity of human life. Now, for that, I'm going to go back just for a second and pick up from the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops. So, uh, Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship says, the bishops reaffirm, reaffirm their opposition to the violence and crime of abortion, stating the threat of abortion remains our preeminent priority because it directly attacks life itself, because it takes place within the sanctuary of the family, and it continues. So right immediately, we hear the bishops not address a very fundamental issue, an assault on innocent human life, on the dignity of the human person. So with that, the non-negotiables build. So the first one that we're dealing with is abortion, the direct and intentional assault on innocent human life never permissible, never can be can be chosen. So that's what I mean by non-negotiables, that these are things that are, cannot be compromised. These are very, very uh, fundamental for us as Catholics to understand and to, and to also, as we approach the common good, as we approach making these decisions, there's never a justification. And so, which means we don't negotiate here. The second one is on the issue of euthanasia. So this, again, deals with whether an act or an omission that causes uh, or leads to the death of another human being. So as we've talked about many times from our, in our podcast, Colleen, I can never hasten or cause the death of any other of, of another person, nor can I do that to myself. So it's very important. So abortion, euthanasia, which goes with this now, we're talking about embryonic stem cell, you know, uh, here, uh, research. And that would be the third. Now, again, because we're dealing with a human being, so the, the uh, with life, and because every life has value, even in its most youngest development state, developmental stage, 
must be protected and can never be used or utilized. John Paul, you know, talked about this in Evangelium Vitae many times. And, and I think it's important that we realize that human embryos are human beings, human persons, and we need to, uh, we need to defend them. Non-negotiable. And I think many people don't realize that, you know, when you look at some of the candidates on the state level and on the federal level are advocating for embryonic stem cell research. This is immoral. It cannot be be chosen as a good, you know, no matter what the ends are, are the, uh, that one wants to do. The ends never justify the means. So go back to that teaching. And also now, which is not one that most people are familiar with, the issue of human cloning. So that's uh, the fourth one. And then finally, the anything uh, or, or the fact of upholding the dignity and the sacredness of marriage between one man and one woman. And so, the, so here again, anything that contradicts that good cannot be supported. So we're looking at those five. And why? Because we're dealing with human persons who have, are, are of incomparable value and never can be compromised. And because we're dealing with the, the good of the human person, we must also not only defend that good, we have to advance and, prom- and promote that good. And so in each of these, the good is not being upheld. So it's not being defended, and it's also not being advanced. If there's legislation or if there is a person advocating for laws, you know, to promote an assault on these goods. So these are where we as Catholics approach, as I quoted from the very beginning, from our Catholic view, from our Catholic understanding of these moral principles about the dignity of the person and the dignity of human life. So that's important, Colleen, as we as we approach these kinds of conversations. And if I could, if you give me a little leeway, I'll kind of lead into some of the things we you mentioned earlier that we're going to talk more in detail. So if we look at, um, at some of the ballot issues in some of the states, so we see because of the overturning of Roe by the U.S. Supreme Court on June 24th, that we know that this issue alone, the abortion issue, has now returned to the states for debate. Many of the states, because of their trigger laws, you know, already are advocating for life, and abortion is no longer permissible in those states. But it doesn't mean that there are not those trying to change that. So let's not talk about them. Let's only look at the ones right now, like in California or in Vermont, uh, that are advocating for um, uh, basically just opening the door for abortion rights and, and claiming it to be a right and making it part of their constitution and so forth. So as Catholics in the state, there are over 12 million Catholics in the state of California. So as I mentioned in a recent column, you know, the bishops of California are calling upon all of the Catholics of the state to vote no to Proposition 1. And why? Because it is an assault on human life and human dignity. And it cannot be, it cannot be in any way supported by Catholics, really by anyone. But the bishops are speaking specifically, you know, to the Catholic population. Why? Because we're dealing with the first non-negotiable. We cannot advocate, support a law, or support an attempt to create a law that would advocate for the taking of an innocent human life. You can't do that. So to all the Catholics in the state of California, you know, who are approaching the ballot box, you know, in good conscience, you cannot vote for this. And if you do, you're, you're, you're voting for that which is intrinsically evil. So this is what we're talking about. These are intrinsic evils. In and of themselves, they, they can never be advocated. 
you know, and afar. And so I think it's important for us to look at that. Uh, and so those are the, the main things. So I hope that kind of on the non-negotiables. Now, there is a little confusion because when you get to the ballot box, it may not be as clear. So when, when you come to these websites and that we're going to give to you today is um, you may go, okay, it's not as clear that in the language. So which means you have to read. You have to read what the initiative is, Colleen. You have to look at what is it saying? What is it advocating for? Or what is it against? What is it for? And then come back and, you know, and look at you know, these, these principles and say, okay, no, this is advocating for abortion to be, you know, uh, like in Michigan, you know, or in, uh, in many other states that are advocating, you know, for, uh, you know, literally, you know, uh, these things. Uh, so I think it's important just to be aware. Be aware of what they are and how to approach them. Definitely. And then um, if you have a candidate who has like the Catholic approach to like immigration or economic principles or things like that, but they support a non-negotiable, does do those lesser goods ever outweigh his support of a non-negotiable? Right. So again, because we're dealing with something that's intrinsically evil, mm-hmm. so issues of abortion, euthanasia, you know, embryonic stem cell research, cloning, and the assault on the dignity of marriage uh, between one man and one woman, that, you know, these are, they're non-negotiables. So, and even though there may be other things that may, are, are, are of importance, and there are, let's go back to the bishop's statement with regard to abortion, but again, because they're speaking about an intrinsic evil, you know, it's a preeminent issue. It's an issue that that trumps the rest. It overrides, and so they they have to be first looked at. And so even when we talk about the the compendium on on social doctrine, and we look at the wheel of justice, for example, in looking at social principles and and, and, the, and the teachings of the church, you know, when you look at the wheel of justice, the first fundamental principle is a human person, all right. And so and then the second one is human dignity. Why? Because that's the starting point, and also it's a wheel. Because it starts at one, it comes all the way around. So all the other principles that make up the wheel of justice in the sense of, you know, whether we're talking about immigration, health care, or whether we're talking about, you know, the issue of uh, uh, dealing with the, the workers' rights and so forth, you know, an option for the poor, whatever those uh, solidarity, subsidiarity, all these principles, they come back to the human person because that's the starting point is the inalienable dignity. All right. So this immutable dignity, unchangeable dignity. All right. This inherent dignity. So I'm using these words that I'm, I'm hoping all of our listeners are keenly aware of, and that's the starting point. So yes. So let's say I'm gonna use an example. Let's say that I approach you know a situation in my state where there are various ballot initiatives. Mm-hmm. So let's just say that I I look at this candidate. All right. So let's start with a candidate. Let's not because right now Proposition One is not a candidate. Yeah. Proposition One is a ballot initiative in the mm-hmm. state to change its constitution. So, but I'm approaching, say, a candidate, and I'm looking at our candidates and I'm evaluating. So as I'm weighing out, let's say, two candidates, the first thing that has to be asked is where are their positions on these non-negotiables? Where are what, what are their beliefs? What are their what have they done? If they've already been in in, in Government, what have they voted for? What have they advocated for? What have they written on? You know, what have they spoken publicly? So as you can tell, immediately Colleen means, wait a minute, I got to do my homework. Yes, yes. I have a moral duty because I'm wanting to advance the common good, what is good for society, which means I have to approach this with that mindset. 
And so the first is those non-negotiables, those those very clear guiding guiding guideposts. All right. So let's just say that that both of them are equal here. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that both, sadly, are not very good on these issues. All right. And let's say that you know two out of the five. So two out of the five eh, already wrong, but these are the only two candidates I have. So how do I approach them? What is my response? So now I need to keep looking down. Oh, you mean two out of the five non-negotiables? Right, right, I thought right. you meant two out of the five candidates. Sorry, sorry okay. no, no. Sorry. So you have two so, candidates. So, right, right. Two and candidates out of the five. Okay. And let's just say that you know they, are, they, they both approach all five of them the same. Okay. So now what do I do here? Because the issue here is you know, to exercise, you know, my moral obligation and to advance the common good and to protect the common good, mm-hmm. I need to look at this, which one of these candidates will cause lesser harm. So it's a question here, I have to really look at this and now maybe I will come down, you know, and start looking at those other issues that affect, you know, our, our culture and affect our society, you know, and it may involve healthcare issues. It may involve the issues on immigration. It may involve issues of healthcare, I mean, of, uh, of, of worker rights and, you know, and all these other various complexities of the human society. But, Again, I have to start with those non-negotiables. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so that's the starting point. So obviously, let's say I'm back to my two candidates. Mm-hmm. And one upholds those non-negotiables and the other does not. Very simple there. I have one candidate that now is I can, I can offer my support to. And the real qu- problem is today, the confusion is, is people start weighing out those things that are below those negotiables. The lesser goods. Right. Yeah. As equal. They're not. They're not on the equal par. And so it's important to, that's why the church's teaching on this is very important for us, all of us, mm-hmm. to understand, to learn, and to be able to apply. So basically you start by looking at the non-negotiables and it's like, if one is clearly superior to the other, like it, they don't support any and the other person supports all five. Right. You don't consider those other lesser goods if those are your only two options. You right. have to go with the one who doesn't right. support any right. non-negotiables. And then if they both support like the same two, like they're equally the same on their support of the non-negotiables, then right. you can look at those lesser ones. Or if neither supports the non-negotiables, then you look at those lesser right. goods. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just it's it's important as you explained very beautifully is is that as you can see it puts the onus on myself to know what these people are, are uphold or what they what they're advocating or not advocating for what if you have one candidate who supports all five and one that supports only one in that case would you pick the one that only supports one because he's like going to do less harm than the one who supports all well, five that's, that's a very important phrase so so obviously you know both are wrong in the sense of uh, whether it be the one advocating for all five, mm-hmm. you know, in the sense of, you know, for abortion, for euthanasia, for embryonic stem cell research, for our human cloning, and, and you know, and for same-sex unions. And another candidate, uh, uh, say, uh, uh, advocating for one out of the four, you know, believing that euthanasia you know, it should be something allowed. The person should be able to allow them to make their decision. So how would I approach? How would the church guide me in approach. So obviously we're we're not pleased with either candidate at all. And so then I have to look at okay, which one just based on those five would cause lesser harm. Okay? And 
it's pretty clear that, you know, I'm not supporting this person because of their positions on euthanasia. I'm completely opposed to that, and the church would be opposed to it, and I would not be supporting this candidate in this cause whatsoever. And that has to be your intention behind it, too. That's correct. And so here, what I'm recognizing, that one of these two candidates is going to be elected. So which one will cause the lesser harm? And so if I had an ideal situation, neither one, but one of these two people is going to hold this office. So which one can can will cause lesser harm, and then we can begin to work with and maybe you know uh, gradually you know uh, guide them, help them change their transform their mindset. You know so. But the idea is is that recognizing that by exercising my duty recognizing my responsibility to the common good, wanting to advocate for the good of the common good, the good of society, and what promotes human flourishing, and that this is where my intention is, this is what the church is calling me to be active in, and because of my position in the United States, I can exercise that ability through voting, you know, at various levels within government, and to choose candidates that will advance that good. And, and so it's important to approach that. And, you know, ideally, we would want candidates completely supporting life, supporting family, supporting the, the, the dignity of every human life. That's what we want to get. And that's the kind of candidates we want. And we should be advocating for. So and we're not there yet, sadly. And so we, we need to keep working at that. And we need to keep encouraging people, you know, who value these values to place themselves up for consideration for leadership roles. And we need them so desperately as just as a side note, Pope Benedict would even say that, you know, we need to not run away from the political conversation, but we need to run toward it. So I would say here, just in my little kind of soapbox, we need good candidates. We need men and women who advocate for these intrinsic values and to be able to advocate for them, to defend them, to fight for them, and to see that it's good for, the, for, the, for all of society to promote the dignity of marriage, to support you know, human dignity and the sacredness of human life, and to settle for nothing less. We want that. How would the non-negotiables play into local politics? Where I, obviously we're used to it be happening on like a national level or a state level where you're trying to have state uh, elections or state laws that are being right. passed, but how would it affect more on a local level? Is it still important to consider? Sure. Well, let's look at school boards. I think that's a good example. Though. So that's on a, on a local level. It's also mm-hmm. on a state level. You have mm-hmm. Bessie boards and so many th- uh, things, but just on the local level, you know, what does this candidate believe? You know, we're, right now we're dealing with this, you know, here in the state of Virginia, we've had problems and people have been aware on, on you know, it's been in the, in the, uh, up in the headlines and so local school boards make a huge impact and are advocating for policies and, and procedures in, on the local school level. And, you know, so that is very, very important because we may not be dealing with, I mean, obviously there's not an issue that they're going to, uh, they're not legislators, mm-hmm. so they're not going to be voting on laws that advocate for abortion, but they may be promoting policies that, you know, uh, advocate for it on the local school level, you know, changing ordinances and, you know, and, and you know, rights of parents begin, begin compromised. And we've seen that. We, we know that's happening. So on the, on the local level, it's important to know what these individuals are advocating for and what are their, what do they believe? And, and so in some cases, we don't know because they've never served in public office before. They've never, you know, they don't have a voting record. They don't have a public forum that we've seen thus far. But, you know, all of us live in society. People know people. So it's important to ask the right questions, you know, to go to meetings, 
go to where they have a rally. Listen to what they're saying. What's their platform? What are they advocating for? Or maybe, and also not just advocating for, but what are they not saying? That's also very important, which kind of goes back to what I said earlier about euthanasia. It's not just acting to cause the death of another human being, but it's also the sin of omission. Mm. What am I omitting? You know, so so in here, what is someone not saying that maybe should raise a hair on my head and say, wait a minute, and, and, and pose a question. You know, ask a person very respectfully, what are your positions on this? Can you explain more about that? So it's very important, even on the local level, Colleen, for people to to be engaged, you know. And I know for myself, you know, I still vote because I'm still a, a a resident of the state of Louisiana, and I still have a residence in my home diocese, and so it is home. And so uh, I usually, uh, not usually, I I I participate. In, in, in when voting things come up, and I have uh, either I'm, I go home for it, especially when it's a state level in a federal election, I make an effort to get home. If I can't, then I get an absentee ballot, you know, or I do everything I can to be part of the conversation because I'm concerned about the common good in my own state and on on the, on the federal level. And at the same time, I'm also looking at local things, and so it's important for all of us to see that. And, uh, and make sure that we, we understand, when we walk in that booth, it's not a matter of me just pushing a button or clicking a lever or you know, whatever dynamic is happening within the voting uh, booth, but how many people don't do that? And they inadvertently vote for something. And I think there's, again, it's important to realize that, you know, in, uh, if we have a candidate you know, or a ballot initiative, and uh, we need to be aware that we also become complicit. You know, in this. You know, I might not be the I'm not the legislator that's been elected that's voting, but by me voting for the legislator that does vote, I'm indirectly and directly participating here. So I think it's important to see that it's that I have a role in this, and it's not far removed. And I think a lot of times we want to excuse ourselves that it's uh, I'm, I'm far removed from that conversation. No, I'm not, because I'm part of the human family, and I have an ability to to exercise a protection to the common good and to flourish the common something for the flourishing of the common good. So, pardon me. So I think it's good for people, especially for Catholics, not to be afraid of this. And I think a lot of times it's uh, they're uncertain of how to approach. They're uncertain of the candidate or the initiative and maybe uh, the lack of resources to get the information they need. And it's intimidating. And so some people just say, okay, I'm just not participating. Or, as you brought up earlier, Colleen, look, I've got two very nasty people here. You know, I, I don't want anything to do with that. Okay. You can approach it that way. I mean, I you have to in conscience decide, you know, but... Guided by the church's teaching, the church would not say not to be engaged. The church would not say to me, don't do anything. No, as I've been reading and, again, guiding people, Catechism of the Catholic Church, 2239, 2240. We can go to Evangelium Vitae. There's many, many places in the church's teaching. And going back to the Bishop's Conference on Faithful Citizenship, obviously the church is saying, no, you be engaged be active in this conversation. We're part of the human family. We're part of society. We are faithful citizens of this of, the, of our country here in the United States, and that we should be engaged in this conversation and do everything we can 
and we can do this by, by our exercise of voting, to, to, uh, to promote the common good. And so it's important to see that as, as a moral duty, to see it as a contribution that each of us is making to this conversation. So I, I think it's very, very important. And I so agree. does the church. Yeah. Um, and then going back to specifics of this coming election, um, which states have pro-life issues on the ballot This, like that people should be aware of? So one would be, for example, like in Kentucky. We talked a little bit about this, and that's one example. And there's, there's a great link. And I'm going to pull my column out so that okay. I can make direct reference to them yeah. uh, and help so I make sure I'm giving the right information uh, as, as, we, as we're talking about so many issues here. So in, in Kentucky, you know, we have voters will be asked to vote what's called Amendment 2. Okay. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it slow so that I can make sure I get the right you know propositions or amendments. This is Amendment mm-hmm. Two in Kentucky, which would make it clear that there is nothing in the state constitution that creates a right to abortion. So here's an opportunity in the state of Kentucky, not just for Catholics, but for all people who are advocating for life to recognize there is no language in the constitution that gives a right to abortion. Amendment two is something we want to support. So in uh, now in uh, it's interesting here in Montana we have a very interesting one as well, and it's called uh, Montana LR one thirty one. Okay, so my, all these links are in the column, you know, for all of our listeners, uh, so they can go back and, and look at them. Here, you know, it's called this deals with uh, children that are born alive. So what it's dealing with here is a child that is born alive. Is to be is to be treated, cared for, loved, and protected. So this is what this is advocating for, because as we know, the horror stories, and we hear it from nurses, we hear it from family members, we hear it from so many people uh, that sadly children who are born alive, who have survived, you know, the issue, uh, the attempt of an abortion, and are left to die in, in a corner of a room. So Montana is saying no to this. At least that's what's on the ballot. And I'm hoping the people of Montana of good conscience and goodwill will recognize that there's never a legitimacy for abortion. This is not what one is advocating for. But what it's advocating is that if a child survives this horror, this attempt on its life, that the the child should be protected. And that's what's going on in Montana. So uh, those are two. Uh, right off that I would acknowledge. Uh, And so uh, there are a few others uh, that I would encourage by them going. What I would say, uh, Colleen, is uh, to find out more information what may be happening in your own state is there are two places to go. One would be the uh, the, uh, the state right to life uh, office or uh, website. Um, And the other one would be by going to the Catholic Conference of Bishops in your state. Each state uh, has its own uh, kind of regional or uh, state conference of bishops. And the bishops themselves have people who are lobbying for Catholic teaching in regard to legislation and ballots and initiatives. So it'd be good to go to their website. You know, I know in Louisiana, I can direct people directly to that. Uh, and so, uh, and the same thing in California, where I w- I've been helping with Proposition 1 and talking about it, as you we've done many times here before. And so, that's a resource, and that would be good because there could be other things that are happening that that I'm not aware of, and uh, and which I would I, I know are happening. So it's important for people to become aware of it. So they they enter the voting booth aware of what's out there. So those are just two examples. Okay, 
And then which states have pro-abortion issues on that? I know you've mentioned Proposition 1. I know we've talked about Vermont before and Michigan. So let's just maybe just cover those so people in those states are aware. So in Proposition 1, you know, just kind of backing up to that. So it's uh, here, we already have a very bad law in California. All right. What this is going to do now is, you know, literally place into the Constitution a right to abortion. And and so that and also with that right would come the state's responsibility you know, to protect it. It would be very difficult for any pro-life legislation to be advanced uh, because of that the, the the change in the constitution. And it also would make taxpayers in in the state of California obligated to pay for 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 those who seek an abortion. Not only people in California. But as Governor Newsom has said, well, let's bring people from other states. Let's become, you know, an abortion, you know, that sanctuary and whatever the language he's using. So this proposition, one, has to be rejected. And and so that's what I would, again, just remind people of. In the uh, state of Michigan, we have Proposition 3. Now, this is a little one that's filled with uh, a, a lot of language. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to read it so that we hear it. Um, but it's it's detailed. But this is what's happening there. This would affirm a constitutional constitutional right, quote, to reproductive freedom. Now, any of us engaged in the pro-life movement, any of us engaged uh, in this conversation for any length of time will know that this means, you know, the right to abortion, the issue of contraception, uh, the issues of sterilization, and so forth and so on. Uh, this defines, again, quote, the right to make any uh, a decision about all matters relating to pregnancy, including but not limited to prenatal care, childbirth, postpartum care, contraception, sterilization, abortion care, miscarriage management, and infertility care, end quote. There's a lot in there, Colleen. And so there are a lot of things, and what I often see in many initiatives is the, the kind of lumping a lot of things together. And some people might say, well, you know, we would, we would want to see, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, postpartum care, okay? Okay, good, good. We want to see childbirth, you know, care. So, but then at the same time, you're seeing other things that are not, you know, moral and that are intrinsically evil acts that can never be supported or encouraged. So it, 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 this is important for people to read and for people to know this is not something that's good at all. So it is important to say no. So it sounds like they're just trying to disguise what it is. They're like, here's these list of things that are good. Oh, and we're also going to throw in abortion and sterilization and all of these other right. really right. terrible things. And we're masking right. it by making it sound right. good. And and then I think it's also important, you know, I, as I go into a little bit here. So in like in North Carolina. So now we're dealing, you know, not necessarily with a ballot initiative, but what do we have? So here, uh, Governor Cooper, you know, has vetoed pro-life legislation. So here, you know, recognizing there's an opportunity in the gubernatorial elections that are that are coming up. Um, here's a chance, you know, to look at the candidates and to recognize we may have an opportunity to change leadership and advocate some our, our, and vote for someone that will promote the common good. Abortion is never good for the common good. It is not good for society. And no matter how people try to to uh, to convince people that it is, it is never because it's evil and it cannot be promoted. And we're talking about the murder of an of a innocent human life, the direct killing of another human being. So this is a chance in, Philadelphia, uh, in Pennsylvania. We have again, uh, you know, uh, a governor there who has vetoed pro-life laws. So uh, an example in that one, uh, Wisconsin, 
right? Here is a chance where Republicans are looking, you know, to win a pro-life majority. So why? Because what, what happens here is that the, there's an opportunity to advance pro-life, you know, uh, laws and, and legislation. And so why not? So we need to see that. And I guess what we're trying to do today, Colleen, is just really show how serious, you know, voting is. Mm-hmm. That it does, as we all know, I hope, it makes a tremendous impact, positive or a negative and what makes it negative is when we do nothing to stay against the evil that is being advocated for, uh, or we actually vote for an evil that's going to be advocated for. We can't do that. We need to, we need to recognize we have an opportunity to stifle, eradicate, uh, limit you know, the, the advancement of an evil. We must be engaged in this. On the good side of it, we, like in many states, we have pro-life legislation. We have pro-life advocacy. We have laws that are now advocating for life, not only life in the womb, which we is the preeminent issue, as the bishops say, and, and make, make us continue to be aware of, but also they have pro-life laws to protect against euthanasia, to protect about, against embryonic stem cell research. We have states that do not allow human cloning, and we should not. We also have states that are striving to uphold. Now, right now, we have Oberville versus Hodges, which is a whole nother issue, but that's going to be coming to the forefront, this issue of the legalization and the imposition of the Supreme Court against the states that say that you must, you know, have uh, legalize and recognize same-sex unions. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about one of the non-negotiables here. So right now, we're not going to find, like we have with Roe, we have a difficulty that we got to keep working toward. Here is a chance. You know, right now, we may not win a judicial battle, but we have an opportunity to, to advocate for laws within the state that can challenge the law, challenge the situation, just like we've done with Roe all these many years. And we, we, we reached a point where we had a court that was courageous and willing to, to receive you know, a challenge and, and recognize the opportunity before them to, to vi- revisit the situation that was imposed upon our nation, and we can be here again. But if we don't stand up and advocate for people to be in those positions to advance those kinds of conversations, then the evil continues mm-hmm. and it persists and the mindset stays, the framework stays, the behavior stays, and we don't change direction. So that this is that's why this is so serious, and this is why the church herself reminds us as Catholics to take this opportunity in the serious nature that it is, and not take it lightly. And as we began with, to recognize that there are intrinsic evils that can never be advocated, never supported, and that I, as a Catholic, can never vote for. And I know that this is um, uh, for our listeners by majority uh, are, are will understand this. But we know that, sadly, there are people who are claiming to be Catholic, but advocating for these intrinsic evils. And I, this, is, this is scandalous. And it's promoting evil. It's advocating for evil. And there is no, never, ever a justification. And so, uh, and even though I may be in a situation where I have two candidates that both do not represent the fullness of Catholic teaching with regard to the dignity of human life— and the recognition of what we're talking about, that the church does help me and help to make a decision 
in good conscience of how to approach those kinds of conversations. But the first thing is, is that I can never actively and intentionally vote or advance an intrinsic evil. The other one I wanted to bring up that got, we forgot to mention was Vermont's proposal. Oh, yeah, so Vermont has Proposal 5, but I think it's going on the ballots as Article 22. Oh. And that one's basically just quote, like not quite directly quoting, but generally saying reproductive rights shall not be infringed is kind of the general gist of it. And from my understanding that right now they're specifically talking about abortion and contraception, but down the road it could be any number of anything that could be twisted to fit reproductive rights right. would fall under that. Right. So, and there's no thing saying children versus adults. There's nothing in that that's offering any type of protection for minors that Correct. in that way. So, and, and, and again, just to, as we're doing is, is recognizing that our participation is to advance the good, mm-hmm. to advance what is true, to advance what is just. And because we are in solidarity, because we are uh, in part of the human family, that this concerns us mm-hmm. and that this does concern me because it concerns my neighbor. And in who is my neighbor? You know, Jesus helps us understand this very clearly. Everyone is my neighbor. And so, but to recognize the vulnerable the poor, you know, those who are defenseless, who cannot defend themselves, the innocent. So here, the preborn child, our elderly, our handicapped, our disabled, you know, those who are having difficulties in cognitive abilities, you know, the, the vulnerable. We need to look at that and recognize that there is, in a sense, that every life is a value and we must protect that life. And we need to make sure that we're not assaulting human life. And, you know, which goes back to the whole embryonic stem cell research. Mm -hmm. You know, we want moral research. We want to advocate for moral means to answer human questions and to deal with medical issues and healthcare issues. And we want human flourishing. Absolutely. But then again, the ends do not justify the means. We cannot take the life or commodify a human life. And you know, and in, in, in order to obtain that that end, mm-hmm. that we're which is a, the good that we're wanting to obtain, but in order to get there, you have to commit this evil. No, can't do this. And so it's important for people to see that and understand. And and of course, they love tugging on the strings, as we all know. It's all hard cases. It's always these difficult situations that 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 you see the the other side play. And but the church again helps us to approach these these conversations and how to articulate, you know, a response to those kinds of cases. And what's beautiful is the church's teaching, the moral teaching, the moral principles, the moral tradition was the same yesterday, today, and will be the same tomorrow. And so that no matter what, every life is of, of value, of, of in, has intrinsic and comparable value, you know, at, at every stage. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't change whether they're in early development, whether they are in an elder, in a, an older older age, or there's a healthcare issue, that doesn't change. So it's important for us as we approach these to look at it that way, because that's what the other side is trying to say: that some have value, some don't. We could use people for this kind of situation because we're trying to create, make this good, or you know, or we can manipulate human persons you know, to create other human persons. Uh, and then, or we can, you know, uh, advocate for the natural institution 
that, that is God-created, God-given between a man and a woman in the sacred institution of holy matrimony and to recognize the dignity of marriage upon which society is built and upon which children are welcomed and upon which our society flourishes. And it's, this is something we must advocate for. And, and so we, we, I guess by reemphasizing, repeating as I'm doing and, and we're doing together is to show how important this is. Yeah. Well, and also I think it's important as Americans to see what's going on in other states because it might not be your state right now, but that's how they've always pushed things through. Like starting like before Roe, it was like legalize it in this specific state, legalize it in that right. state. And then it led to Roe. And you said saw the same thing with gay quote marriage and right. the way that that got legalized before the Supreme Court decision. So I think it's very right. important as Americans to look at what's going on in states that even aren't yours. So you're aware what trends are happening in California or New York or Vermont or exactly. Michigan and just be able to take that step back and say, wow, if it passes there, what if it's my state next? That's correct. And if it doesn't pass there, maybe that will be the guard holding it back. Exactly. And I think like just, just using California, because it's mm -hmm. one that's, you know, I've been you know working a little more that. closely yeah. with is to recognize that uh, by rejecting proposition one, you know, first of all, we're preventing a far greater you know, assault on human life. We Again, it's already a very bad situation. The law in California is already very bad and already assaults human life. But if this were allowed to continue, it would only fortify that and strengthen it. Now, reverse that. If we can, which I, I, I hope will be the case, and I pray it will be the case, we reject Proposition 1, and, and what happens? Now, you can come back to the, the current law and say, wait a minute, we can challenge this, and it will be challenged. And the other side knows this. This is why they're doing what they're doing, because they know that the, 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 there's a mindset within right now, within American people, there is a sense that they don't like this, this abortion you know, as it is. Uh, and so we have to recognize that there's an opportunity here. And I can tell you globally, Colleen, this is what I hear in the global, you know, working with our affiliates and directors around the world, they saw the overturning of Roe is something that would never happen because this was what everyone's been told. Oh, it'll never happen. It's, in, it's now law, blah, blah, you know. But in reality, by the overturning of Roe and Casey, it sends a message that laws can change, that very egregious laws can be reevaluated, and yeah. we can set a different course, and we can recognize we've done something harmful here. You know, this has not promoted the common good. It has been detrimental to society. And we can show how detrimental abortion is to our society. And, and, and it's there. It gets hidden because the media doesn't support, you know, uh, truth. It supports its agenda, its ideology, and its right line in, 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 in this. And we know that people, uh, uh, entities like Planned Parenthood, are backing many of these propositions and amendments. We know this because it's out there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, but here's a chance with that turn. They saw it. Wait a minute. If the U.S. can do this, then we can do this in our country. And that's what happened in Poland in 1993, you know, and Poland has continued to advocate and push forward for, for, for protecting human life. And we saw this in Hungary in 2012. And we, we can see it in other countries where challenges are happening. So this is what can happen here. So I'm with you, Colleen, and agree with, with what you're saying, is that to see this, you know, what's happening in the neighboring state, positive or negative, has an impact on the other states. And we know that the state of California and the state of New York have the, the largest percentage of abortions in this country. So it is, they are, in a sense, ground zero. 
And if we can move the conversation toward life inching our way, then we know the impact that will have. And it will reverberate in other states. So, so I, I really see this as a very important moment, you know, in California and uh, in other states that have initiatives that require people who are, one, Catholic, two, Christian, our Jewish brothers and sisters, and many other faith traditions that do not believe in the violence of abortion, do not want to see abortion furthered, or the, uh, the ability of the state to impose an unending limit or no limit whatsoever, I think there's opportunity here. And I, I want to encourage people to really take these in, uh, uh, November elections, whatever is in your state, seriously, and to realize that we can make a powerful difference. And we can set a stage for the next two years mm-hmm. in anticipation of another set of federal and state-level elections. Uh, which can, again, reverberate. That's that's what we want. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Father, for doing this podcast. I'm really glad that we were able to have some kind of resource about voting um, before these elections. And to everyone listening on YouTube or Rumble, please like, subscribe, follow. And if you're listening on any of our audio platforms, please follow us, share it with your friends, and keep on living the culture of life. And did you want... Just one last thing before. Okay. Just go back to those... If you, uh, are you going to post oh, yeah, uh, the, those websites for, yeah. for our listeners? Sorry, I just <laughs> want to make sure that we get that out there so people can come back to the... The guys for voting. Right. Yeah. That would be very good. So it's the EWTN, and I know you're going to make those available. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one that's a little uh, shorter, but a little more concise is uh, Priest for Life yes. you know, Voting Guide. The Both of them are very, very good. Uh, and again, for more information uh, on this, on what I would add, finally add, Colleen, is that back to the uh, for people in each state, if you go to the bishop's website yes. and you and you go to their website and, and look up their the pro life advocacy, mm-hmm. that's where you're going to see what the bishops are talking about in the current election. If there if there's something that's out there, they're dealing with it. So please, you know, uh, let's let's help guide people toward that as well. Yes, and so, the right to life so, offices. All fifty states, yeah. all fifty states, and Puerto Rico. Okay. Need to be have their eyes open right now to all what's available, what's coming up in the midterm election. In yes. November. Very important. Get out and vote too. <laughs> Thank you so much. Keep on living the culture of life. God bless. Mm-hmm.